0: All right, awesome. Well, uh, just in case uh, you weren't here last week, um, I'm excited to continue on from where we began last week. Uh, Last week, if you were here, we began uh, having a discussion, uh, a little bit about maybe some things that you've not thought about Jesus. Um, For a couple weeks, we're talking about what Jesus has done for us. A lot of times when we think about Jesus, we think about what Jesus wants from us, But Jesus has done way more for us than we could ever do for Him. Amen. Uh, Jesus has done everything for us. So last week we began our conversation on the subject, and we started to talk about two things that Jesus has already done for every single one of us. Whether we take it or not, this is what Jesus has done. Salvation. Jesus has purchased for us. And Jesus also has purchased and given us pasture. Salvation salvation is god's great gift to us through what jesus has purchased for us on the cross salvation is jesus standing at the door saying come on in i purchased this for you now the gift is for everyone but we know everyone's not going to take the gift but jesus's salvation is free to all jesus stands at the door and jesus says come so if you come to Jesus, let me tell you this, Jesus says, come on in, even though everybody's not coming, come on in, and when you come, I will provide drink for you that will last and satisfy your soul forevermore. So if you trust in Christ, turn away from your sin, place your trust in Jesus, and you're given the new life that you were created for, the new life that you were made for, the new life that God put you on the planet to have. Another thing, once you've been given entrance into the kingdom, come in through the door of Jesus. Jesus offers you pasture, pasture. Jesus wants pasture for you. This is one aspect where I can truly say the grass really is greener on the other side. Jesus says, come on in. I will give you every single thing that you need for life, every single thing that you need for godliness. I'm the source of every single thing that you need. And my sources, my resources are completely inexhaustible. You will never put me to the test where I cannot provide every single thing that you need. Jesus says, I'll provide everything that you need. Come to me. Bring your hunger. Bring your thirst. It's all found and fulfilled in Jesus. Now, For um, this morning, we're going to take a a little bit of a turn. See, last week when we ended, we were talking about our thirst and talking about our hunger and talking about coming into the pasture. Well, listen, the the pasture is fulfilling as long as we're not running out to other pastures, all right? Running into other pastures is really the struggle of our life until we make it to heaven, but running into other pastures is trying to find fulfillment in areas that we'll never find fulfillment in. Have you ever run and gotten advice and advice and advice, and you've gotten advice from people who are not seeking God's truth, but they were all ready to give it? You took their advice, you went off the cliff, you took their advice, made a decision that you now regret, and you were not fulfilled. Um, There's different places where a child of God ought not go, and we go there thinking that we're going to find fulfillment in this area maybe we've never been, and we have a major, major letdown. There's other areas that we adventure into where we we think that we'll find fulfillment and we come up empty. They're dry wells. Now, this morning, we're going to take a little bit of a turn and look at something a little bit different because the world promises to offer, again, fulfillment in this area, but yet doesn't. The the thing that I want to tell you about this morning that Jesus offers for us has changed the world and continues to change the world today. Now, the world offers something similar. The world offers a mirage, but yet it's actually exactly the opposite. A couple years ago, it's crazy, just personal example. Uh, about 20 years ago now, it's, time has passed really fast. But about 20 years ago, I was preparing to go to Mount Kilimanjaro. Anybody know where that is? Okay, okay Africa, yes. It's uh, in the country of Tanzania. And I was with about 30 people with me, high school students. Isn't that exciting, all right? 30 of us are going into you know, another country, and we're going to Mount Kilimanjaro, and we're going to go from tribe to tribe to tribe. I actually tried to learn some Swahili. That was exciting, because as soon as I said, Jumbo, Jilako Ninari, they said, hello, how are you? I said, well, that's so great. So I learned, I learned Swahili, and then when we would make it past a couple of those general phrases, then they spoke some English, I spoke some English back, and then when I learned a little bit more, then they started speaking Maasai. There was a whole bunch of different dialects and you know different variations. And Anyway, it, it was a great experience, but my language learning and lang- language speaking did not work out great. Now, during my time there, though, uh, we, th- we had a big Isuzu open bed truck. You still see them around all over the place. They're hauling all kinds of stuff. And we would set up a big screen. We would lean the screen up on our truck, and we would show the Jesus film. Uh, we, we literally would carry around the film with us in a big roll. We would put it on a projector, and we would reel through the Jesus film. Uh, when we got tired, we would pass it off and say, All right, next guy, whose turn is to you know power the reel and show the Jesus film. So here we are. We're in Africa. There's 30 of us, and we're showing the Jesus film. We spend a week with a the tribe, then we go to another tribe, spend a week there, and there we go for two months of my summer. It was awesome. Now, during that time, we had one uh, a special day where we were going to do something a little bit different. On this day, we'd been given pass, uh, not too much access was granted to Mount Kilimanjaro. We were on Mount Kilimanjaro, but we were not, you know, what you see of Mount Kilimanjaro from the movie and all that kind of stuff is, you know, the snow, you know, know, capped peak and everything. Well, we were actually given clearance where our team was going to get to go up there. So this was really exciting. So we had our truck there's 30 of us in the back of the open bed truck, and here we go. We're going to take that truck up as high as we can on Mount Kilimanjaro. Then we're going to get out, and then we're going to travel around. And I'm just picturing snowmen on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. I've you know, got these grand pictures in my head. And here we go up Mount Kilimanjaro. And no joke, y'all, we're getting all the way up to about as far as you can drive. We're straddling a ditch all the way up to the, very, the rockiest part. And our truck flips. There are 30 people in the back of an open-bed Isuzu truck, and our truck goes completely on its side. I, I brought the picture. I was going to show it to you today, um, but it's too small for me to hold up. So if you want to see it after the service, I want to show you. It was crazy. I mean, it was absolute chaos. People were hurt. Uh, people were screaming. I mean, we're, here we are, 30 of us in high school with a couple of leaders on our team, and it was absolute chaos chaos. Now, the craziest part, though, is that our guide, um, I mean, at this point, we had traveled uh, probably two hours on this truck and had not seen another single person. And our guide, who's with us, and he was riding in the back of the truck, and he did some kind of amazing leap out of the truck, and he was not hurt, very, very fit guy, uh, just had done lots of uh, tours up Kilimanjaro. And that guide yelled out two words. It was the only two words I heard him say. He yelled out, elephant poop! And so said, okay, I don't see any elephants. And as soon as he yelled that out, yelled that out, he took off at an Olympic speed. I mean, none of us, we, we didn't stand a chance catching up with this guy. At Olympic speed, this man took off down the mountain, and here's 30 of us left stranded with a truck on its side, and our guide is gone. We have no idea how to get back down. I mean, it's obvious, okay, we've got to go back down, but we're stuck. Winter in Africa is our summer, so it's winter there, night Is setting in. It's already cold, and we just we just start praying. God, what in the world are you gonna? What are we gonna do? Are we gonna die on Kilimanjaro? You know, the thirty high school students that went to take Jesus to the nations, and here we are. We have frozen to death on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. What are we gonna do? Stranded. Our tour guide left us stranded. Jesus never leaves us stranded. This morning, I, I want to show you how Jesus is the exa- exact opposite of what our tour guide did to us that day. He took off, he took off running, he was out of here, he was gone down, and he, he was out of sight. He didn't care. Yeah, out of here, I'm going to save myself because there's probably elephants around here somewhere. We were all going to get frozen, we we're going to get eaten by elephants. I'm not sure which one was going to happen first, but there we are. We're on top of the mountain, we were stranded because our tour guide had left us. Jesus is the exact opposite. What Jesus wants for us in this aspect is totally different from what that God did to us that day. If you've got a Bible, go with me to John chapter 10. It's page number 950, if you're using a Bible from the rack in front of you. And we'll start this morning, John chapter 10, with verse number 11. John 10, verse number 11. Verse 11 says this, I'll let you catch up with me. I'm just reading a phrase. Verse number 11, John 10, I am the good shepherd. Stop right here for just a second to say this description is Jesus' self-declaration, Jesus' self-description of this is who I am. I am the good shepherd. Now, this description of Jesus saying I am the good shepherd is loaded with biblical knowledge it's loaded with real-life experience for those who are hearing, and just for the, for the biblical meaning, how much is it loaded? Jesus is saying with his mouth that this was not just a quick illustration, I'm, I'm like the good shepherd, I'm a good shepherd. Jesus was fulfilling and showing that he fulfilled so much of what the Old Testament described a good shepherd would be. In Isaiah 40, verse number 11, Jesus is described from really Isaiah 40 all the way up until Isaiah 66. Jesus is described as the suffering servant. He's described as the one who would come and fulfill everything that Messiah promised to be. He was going to die for us. He was going to bleed for us. He was going to be bruised so that our transgressions could be forgiven. So much prophecy is fulfilled. In, In Isaiah 40, verse number 11, Jesus is described as the one who would be the good shepherd. He would take us. He would carry us. He would gather us. He would be our shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, 23, there's a description where the Lord is talking, and the Lord says, I'm going to put one shepherd over them, and the one shepherd over them is going to feed them. Last week, we talked a little bit about the verses in psalm 23 that we all know so well but that jesus is a fulfillment of the lord is my shepherd i shall not want so when jesus is saying i am the good shepherd i mean it's just loaded with biblical meaning we could stay there for a very long time about how jesus is the good shepherd but it also was filled with real life experience i mean some of the real life experience for these guys was uh, hello a lot of them that were listening that day they either were shepherds or they knew shepherds they knew some shepherds that were good, some that were excellent, and they knew some that were not so good. They, they had very much in their head, they knew what a shepherd looked like and what a, what a shepherd was supposed to be like. And you ask, why should I care about these verses? I don't know any shepherds. How do I understand what it's like to be a shepherd? Why would I, why would I care? When these verses, Jesus is giving us, again, he's given us an unselfish self-description of who he is. And y'all, in order to know what Jesus wants to do for us, we've got to know who he is. Because what he's going to do for you and in your life comes out of who he is. We're not left to question who is the Good Shepherd because the phrase begins, I am, right? You guys know those decorative verses all through the Gospel of John where John Jesus is describing himself, and he says, I am, all of those verses. And in this one, he says, I am the good shepherd. We know who I am is. I am is the Lord. And I am the good shepherd is a description of who Jesus is. Well, what does this, this illustration mean in my life? Well, so that we understand it fully, just like in many places in Scripture, I'm really thankful when there's a contrast, you know? We're able to see this is what the good one looks like And this is what the bad one looks like Alright, that really helps us Because sometimes we, you know, we have a bunch of Blurred definitions of what something may mean And in these verses We have a very clear contrast of The good shepherd, alright That's the good side And then we've got the bad We've got the hired hand So let's start with the bad Verse number 12 He who is a hired hand And not a shepherd Who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. What's a hired hand? This is the bad shepherd. What's a hired hand look like? Well, these verses give us a really clear description of this is what a hired hand looks like. A hired hand does not take ownership of the sheep. Verse 12 says he doesn't own the sheep. There were some shepherds who had maybe not full ownership to where they owned them by their own financial means, but there were some shepherds who took ownership of the sheep even though they had not purchased them with their own money. They took them as their own. You know how that is? This isn't really mine, but the Bible describes that as being a good steward, right? You don't own actually anything that you have. You're just steward of it. You're just responsible to do what God wants you to do with it. We're not really owners. We're more like stewards. Well, this verse, though, is not describing someone like that. This verse is describing that a hired hand, he doesn't take ownership of the sheep. It means that he's self-centered, not others-focused. He's self-centered, not others-focused. He, you know, they're not really mine. I'm just working. I'm just working till I clock out, right? I don't, really, I don't really care what happens to my boss, right? I don't really care what happens at the end of the day. I'm just here to punch in my hours, and once my hours are punched in, I'm out of here. That's what a hired hand is like. A hired hand is also, it, they, they don't guard the sheep when the predator comes. Verse 12 says that he leaves the sheep and flees, and lets the wolf snatch them and scatter them. A hired hand, when he sees trouble coming, He says, I'm out of here. Just like my tour guide that day on top of Mount Kilimanjaro, there's trouble coming. The wolf is coming. The predator is coming. I'm faster than the sheep. I'm out of here. And he leaves. No protection. Only protects himself. Leaves the sheep unguarded. Leaves the sheep defenseless. I'm out of here. A hired hand doesn't really care about the sheep. They don't really care what happens to the sheep. They're here to punch in on the clock. They're here for a certain amount of hours. They're here for a certain amount of time. And when their time's done, I'm a hired hand. I'm just here, and then I'm gone. Verse 13 says, He flees, cuts to the chase. He flees because he cares nothing for the sheep. Cold selfishness. Only looking out for himself. So in contrast... I'm glad there's a contrast, all right? In contrast, what does the good shepherd look like? Verse 11, go backwards a little bit. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. This is what the good shepherd does. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Skipping down to verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So let's talk for a second about the other side. Everything that I just described about the hired hand is completely opposite for the good shepherd. A hired hand, you remember, they don't take ownership of the sheep. Jesus takes full ownership of the sheep. Verse 14 says I that uh, verse 14 Jesus said he takes you as his own. I know my own and my own know me. Nobody takes care of the created like the creator does. Nobody cares as much as the creator does. Nobody cares as much about the sheep as the shepherd. Another aspect of the hired hand. A hired hand doesn't guard the sheep when the predator comes. But in these verses we hear, Jesus, he dies for the sheep before the predator can get to them. In verse 15, it says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Just a few verses down, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible about you, about what Jesus has for you. Verse 28, if you skip down, Jesus says these words, I give them eternal life. He's talking about you've trusted in Christ. You've repented of your sin. You are a follower of Jesus. This is a great verse. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one. Trust in Christ. You are in the hand of Jesus, and he will never let you go out of his hand because he's the good shepherd. He will never run. He will never let the predator come and destroy you. Why? Because you're in the palm of his hand. You're engraved on his hand. He loves you. He will never let you go because he's the good shepherd. A hired hand doesn't really care about the sheep but jesus shows the full extent of his care by dying for the sheep we know what the great enemy does in john 10 10 they're all connected with these verses in john 10 10 the thief's purpose is to come and to to steal and to kill and destroy but jesus is doing the exact opposite in these verses jesus is making them alive The thief says, come, 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 and then he destroys, or he leaves them to be destroyed. But Jesus, as the good shepherd, does the complete opposite. The end of verse 10, it says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. His death gives way to life, the life that you're created for, the life that God desires for you. Not just one day in heaven, but the life that Jesus wants for you to have Now, spiritual life, spiritual growth. So, big contrast. What does Jesus want for you? If I could sum it up in in one word for you this morning. Jesus wants protection for you. He wants protection for you. If I could apply it, I could apply it in a whole bunch of different ways because His protection is is vast and huge, and there's so many Bible promises about God's protection for us. But just to talk about two, uh, one of them, Jesus wants eternal protection for you. Jesus wants eternal protection for you. What are you talking about, Blake? Why do I need eternal protection for you? Well, just in case you forgot, the wage of your sin was death. And and just in case you forgot, that death was eternal death. And just in case you forgot what that eternal death looked like, that eternal death, death is a real place called hell. I mean I don't like to think about hell often. I don't know about you, but I actually I hate to think about hell. Last night we were having a little bonfire <laughs> and I I was just reminded of you know the heat of a fire. It starts with something so small and I I was just you know, I wasn't playing with the fire. I don't play with fire, okay? I've I've had enough experience to not play with the fire. But there was a little branch that was falling off the side of the fire, and I just picked it up. It wasn't red, it wasn't orange, it wasn't anything, and I just felt it singe my fingers. Because it was really hot. I didn't know it was really hot. But it fell out of the heat of the flame, and it fell off. Have you ever heard that if you play close to the fire, you'll get burned? Yo, hell is a real place. You know, sometimes we hear it mixed in with a curse word. We hear it mixed in with something about hell. But yo, listen, hell's real. People are really dying today, and they're going to experience eternal conscious torment away from God. And they can never get out. Jesus came to provide eternal protection. And when you say, no, 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 I think I'll have it my own way. I think I'll enjoy it my own way. I think I'll do my life my own way. And when we keep going our own way, there's hell to pay. Eternally. Death. And Jesus came to provide and purchase a way out for you. Jesus came and purchased a way out from the price of hell. He came to purchase a way out so you don't have to pay the punishment. Why? Because on the cross, he paid the punishment for you so you could be eternally protected. He paid a way out so that you would not experience the wrath of God. I know that you know this verse, but I don't know if it might ring a bell with what happens right after it. Romans 5.8. eight. probably know that verse. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yo, that's a really good verse. Wasn't when I got cleaned up. Wasn't when I took a couple steps right. Wasn't when I came to church. Wasn't when I became a member. It wasn't when I got dunked. It wasn't when I got the right people around me. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was all wrong, he came as the one who was all right to purchase me, to buy me, to pay, pay my debt. But the next verse that follows is really interesting. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, so that we might have life. Life. Eternal protection has been given for all who would trust in Christ. See, this is what Satan does. Satan entices, okay? He's the exact opposite of the one who's providing protection, particularly eternal protection. This is the way Satan works, okay? The whole time you're living on earth, Satan says, come on. Come on! Enticing. Baiting the hook different ways. He says, come on! Be my friend and be with those who do. Come on! Come on! It's going to be fun. It's just one more time. Come on! Come on! Get close to the fire. He won't burn you. And then one day, when you die and stand before God in judgment, do you know where Satan is? He's nowhere to be found. On the day when you're actually going to answer for all the life that you lived for Satan, even though, even though you might not have lived know that you re- or realized that you were living for him. On the day where it really counts. Do you know where Satan's going to be? Tempting or enticing somebody else. You know where he's going to leave you on the day of judgment? He's going to leave you alone before God to answer for your life. I don't know about you, but good night. That's a terrifying thought. That I would stand before God and I would answer for every single thing that I've done wrong. Y'all, that is a terrifying thought. And where is Satan? Where's the one who said he was your buddy? Where's the one who said he was your friend to the end, you know? I got friends in all places. I mean, mean, all the different ways. I'm not against Garth Brooks, but, you know, all the different ways that we blur the lines of, it's going to be okay. And then on the one day where it actually matters, you've been enticed. And on this day, you've been left alone, unprotected. And Jesus does the exact opposite. For every single one of us who've trusted in Christ, when you stand before God to be judged, do you know who God's going to see if you've trusted in Christ? He's going to see the purchased, merited work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and you will get to go free because of what Jesus did for you. Wow! That's Eternal protection. So if you're here today and you have any fear about what might happen to you when you stand before God on Judgment Day, listen, trust in Christ. Turn from your sin and trust in Him because He wants to eternally protect you. How can He do that? Because His sacrifice on the cross is an eternal sacrifice through an eternal covenant. And through that, He provides eternal protection for you. And until we reach heaven, there's another aspect of protection. I just mentioned one more. The other, another aspect of protection that Jesus wants for you is daily protection. Daily protection. As long as Satan can't have you, he's going to mess with you. As long as Satan can't own you and possess you, he's going to mess with you. He's going to bait the hook every which way he can bait the hook. Why? Because the more you follow Jesus and then you blow it, it costs more, doesn't it? There's more ripples that come from your life the longer you follow the Lord. Get in some kind of leadership role, and I'm telling you, the enticements, the temptations become even stronger. Why? Because Satan would to take that person down. Why? Because it would put a greater stain on the name of Jesus. We need daily protection as a believer in Jesus. This is actually exactly what Jesus prayed for when he was praying for his disciples At one point later on in John 17, Jesus is is praying. Isn't that a great picture? He has perfect communion with the Father, but he he prays for our sake. He prays out loud so that we have an example of of talking to the Lord. In John 17, verse 15, Jesus prays, and Jesus says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, talking to the Father, not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, because he's mean, He wants to kill them. He wants to destroy them. And if he can't completely take them out, he wants to really, really bother them and affect their witness. Paul would pray and say something similar. In 2 Thessalonians 3.3, Paul says, The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And is not this the way that Jesus taught us to pray? In Matthew 6.13, you remember right there at the end of the Lord's Prayer? Remember, right at the very end, you know, he gets right there to the very end. He's given us an example. It's not that we have to quote those words every single time we pray, but he he prays, and lead us not, how does it go? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's meant to be daily prayer for us. God, protect me. God, protects my home. God, protect the things that are coming in through the sound waves, through the radio waves, through the internet wave. God, protect all the different things that are attacking my home. God, protect our schools. God, protect our government. God, protect our church. Why? Because Satan wants to wreak havoc. He's not satisfied with a little messing with believers. He wants to wreak havoc. He wants to disturb dissension and division. And Jesus wants for us daily protection. We need to pray for the ongoing protection of God. Why? Because Satan is out to get you emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. He wants to destroy you. And again, if he can't destroy you, he wants to really mess you mess with you and take away your ability to witness for Christ. Jesus wants something For you in so many different aspects, Jesus wants protection for you. Protection, and just as a side note, okay, just as a side note, if Jesus is a loving, has a lot to do with protecting. Y'all think about what we can do for those around us. Maybe our loving should look a lot more like protecting. Jesus is the example of protecting Satan. It's the complete opposite. Satan is the description of the one who devours. Satan devours. Jesus protects. And our love for others. Isn't it real love and genuine love? If our love does not devour, but our love protects. Just a side note. On the day when the truck flipped, I'll just tell you. I mean, you could tell from my story there, I was scared on that day, okay? When the truck flipped, and it was starting to get cold. And I'm telling you, 30 high school students with a couple leaders, one from Uganda, and a a lady who, she, she was a great lady, but she was, you know, she wasn't flipping a truck or anything. And our guides running down the mountain. And I'm telling you, we just started praying, God do a miracle. I'm not really sure what happens to a car when it goes sideways, But I don't think it's good, you know? I think there's probably some things that are leaking out, you know? (laughs) There's probably some things that are not happening right. I'm not really sure what's going to happen if it comes back down in 30. It wasn't all 30 of us because a lot of us were, you know, anyway, everybody was not uh, able to be helping tip a truck. So there were were some some girls, and there were some also really strong girls that were still helping with the truck, but uh, there was a lot of us, about 15 of us, that had a different part of that truck. And just the feeling, have you tried to pick up a truck lately? Those things are heavy, you know? And we're on every single piece of that truck, and we're, just, we're all praying out loud. We're singing. God, help us. We really want to share Jesus with more people all the way from Mount Kilimanjaro. We just don't want our summer to be cut short. We want to tell more people about Jesus. we got Jesus film to show to these other tribes, and, and we want to go. God, will you help us? And we just start praying, and no joke, flip the truck back over. I mean, it was a miracle of God. Fifteen or sixteen high school students could flip a truck back upside down. And then another miracle is that the truck would, in turn, drive off. No damage. Had the roll bars on the side. I mean, we didn't roll, but we were were sideways. And uh, just an absolute miracle. God was obviously present that day. There, There were... Uh, one girl—it looked like she was going to have to have stitches. I mean, it really did look like a scene from something you see on the news. You know, I mean, I got pictures, you know—I got pictures. You see, I don't—I don't really know how the pictures were taken, but somehow pictures were taken. There's a girl who's like holding a bandage over her head, and nobody had to get stitches, no broken bones. I mean, somebody very easily could have died. I mean, I just—I know that on that day, God was absolutely watching over, and He protected us. Now, listen, just curious. What did Jesus do for you? He protected you. He protected you and gave you life, but he gave you life by dying for you. He protected by dying. In every place across the planet, we're still talking about the protecting death of Jesus, providing life. You know the same It's true. I mean, not to the extent of Jesus dying on the cross, but when you give that kind of love and you show that kind of love to other people, do you know that you're changing the world in every single little pocket of place where you are across the globe? Protecting. I'm not devouring. I'm a believer in Jesus, and I want to be like Jesus. I'm not a devouring. I'm not an assassinator with my words. I want to protect with my words, I want to care with my words. I want to breathe life into those people who are all around me every single day. And every single day, you have the choice to be like Jesus and change the world right where you're at and be like Jesus, the great protector. You're not going to be the protector like he was the protector on the cross, but you can be a little protector in the image of Jesus. I pray that we would be those people. Father, thank you so much for the example of Christ, God, I pray that you would work in us. Father, I pray that you would, God, help us to really grasp what was purchased for us on the cross. God, I know many times we hear and we, we talk about the death of Jesus, and maybe for some of us it's become old hat, or it's, it's a story, or it's something that's so maybe ingrained that we've, we've lost a little bit of the wonder of what happened that day. And Father, this day, I pray that you would remind us in this moment that Jesus died on the cross to protect us. Protect us from an eternity apart from you, Father. To protect us from having to withstand and and forego the judgment of, of you, Father, without any kind of protection. And you died on the cross so that we could have one who is our sin bearer, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Father, if there's anyone here this day that that's always been a story to them, but never been true life. God, I pray maybe maybe for someone today, they need to place their trust in Jesus to be saved. Because truth be told, if they were to stand before you today, Lord, in judgment, they would answer for all of their sin alone. And they would stand guilty on every single count. But Father, you've provided another way The way that you provided was through Jesus, the righteous. Jesus, the Son of God, dying on a cross so that we could go free. And God, if there's a single person here today who's not trusted in Christ and accepted and and received the new life that was purchased for them, Father, I pray that you would draw them in today. Bring them to the Son. Bring them to the one who can satisfy their hunger and fulfill their thirst. Jesus the Son of God, our perfect substitute. If you're here today, just begin praying. The Lord has never turned away one yet. Be honest with the Lord. Tell him about your sin. Tell him about how you trust him. Tell him about how you need him. Tell him, tell him about how you need him to save you. And according to the word of God, he will. And he'll go further than that. He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you new thoughts, a new mind, new life. Trust in Christ today, and be made new. Others of us that are here today, Father, maybe we've begun to begun to look at our life a little bit flippantly. Begin to maybe to look at our family a little bit flippantly. It's no big deal. It's just one. Who will know? Maybe we've begun to look at our church flippantly. No big deal. It'll be fine. Father, the enemy strikes, and he doesn't care who he hits. He just wants to destroy the work of God in our families, in our marriages, in our homes, at school. And, Father, I pray this day that we would be praying for daily protection from the evil one. The evil one is real. The enemy really does have a target on our back, and he wants to destroy, steal, steal and kill any work that you do, Father. And we pray for your protection. God, I pray for many of us that we would our eyes would be awakened to the war in front of us, within us, around us. And, Father, that we would fight with all of our might to the finish because we want to see Jesus' banner taken further. And we won't sit by and let the enemy strike without us fighting back with the offensive word of God. God, help us, shield us, do a protecting work through us, use us to be protectors for others. God, we love you, and Father, we're so thankful that Jesus has provided protection for us. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, I pray.